Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We've had a wonderful, wonderful summer together, and on Wednesday nights in our summer faith series, we appreciate the Pirtles so much. They made sure that meals were provided every Wednesday evening, and that's quite a task when you do that throughout the whole summer. And many of us enjoyed the delicious food, we enjoyed the fellowship, and we enjoyed the convenience, and we appreciate them for doing that. We appreciate Andrew and the tremendous design that he put into that study and uh, the many speakers, very capable speakers that he invited in. What a blessing that's been for us. And then next Sunday, we'll begin another series of thought together and study together as a congregation. As we, on Sunday mornings, we'll go into our fall focus where the Sunday morning Bible classes among the adults will be studying together the similar themes, each in their individual classes, but together in the study. And then what we study on Sunday morning in the sermon will be a support to what has already been studied in Bible class. If you are visiting with us, we want to inform you and remind you that we do have a Get Connected class that will also continue throughout this, where we want to give our visitors the opportunity to learn who we are and how how you can get connected in the life of this congregation here. We want to serve God together. We simply want to be exactly what God wants us to be. And if you have interest in being a part of that kind of people that follow God's word and simply want to reflect God's holiness in our life, we would love for you to learn more about that. And if we can help you in that in any way, uh, come to that class or see us individually. We would love to do what we can do uh, to help you in your spiritual journey also. Perfection or excellence? Which one do you strive for in your life? There really is a significant difference. Perfection perfection or excellence? When we think of in the beginning of the 1900s when cars were very, very expensive, primarily only for the rich individuals, and we think about Henry Ford coming up with the idea of the Model T. You see, that was an excellent car for the common man. It was designed for the common man. Now, with that in mind, there were some things compared to even other cars of its day would not have made it excellent by their standards. You see, the Model T to save gas, to save money on the vehicle, to not have to have a fuel pump, Henry Ford placed the gas tank underneath the seat and then allowed it to be gravity fed into the engine. Well, that flow of gasoline worked well until you came to a steep hill. And anyone that owned a Model T knew what you were going to have to do when you got to a steep hill. The roads in that day and time often had turnarounds at the bottom of steep hills. You turned your car around and you backed up so that you could keep the flow going to the engine. You could talk about gears in the Model T, but that's not really accurate because gears were too expensive to build. Instead, there was a leather strapping that took the place of gears. It served well until it aged and became loose, and then that's when reverse would become the most powerful gear because it usually was tighter because it hadn't been used so much. You see, we can give example after example where corners were cut, you might say, but they were cut for a reason. You see, it was to make an excellent car for the people that it was to serve. Now... What would a car look like if no corners were cut? The Bugatti is a car that in the 2009 model, they've been made for years. This model that you're looking at here, I think it would be safe to say that no corners have been cut. 
Several hundred of these will be sold throughout the last part of 2008 and 2009. You see, whenever designers come up with an idea of how to make it stronger, faster, more dependable, cost is never an issue. If there's a certain composite metal that, that is just very, very expensive, put it throughout the whole car. If there's a certain design to the engine or the transmission, cost is no factor. Whatever they need to do to make it have 1,001 horsepower, put it there. Because when it's all said and done, everybody that owns one will pay more than $2 million this year to own one. Now, note that the new model that has the removable roof, there is a pretty big negative to that. When you take the roof off, it slows the car down 25 miles per hour that brings the top speed down to 225 miles an hour. So you might want to keep that in mind if you're making a quick trip somewhere. But do you see the idea here? There is a difference in perfection and excellence. You see, the problem is excellence is a moving standard. In other words, whenever Honda Accord or Camry is striving to compete with each other, they can't decide to build a car where everything about that car is perfect because they have to stay in competition price-wise with the other. And so there has to be simply a car design that is excellent for the market of which it's targeting. We are so accustomed to this in the product line, I wonder if we become accustomed to it in religion. Do you just try to hit the moving target of excellence wherever you are? Let's be honest with ourselves. How, how do you live at work and at school? Do you live just enough religion and just enough Christianity that you would be deemed a Christian? But yet, the truth is, you don't strive to live a perfect life for the Lord? In other words, what is the standard? Can we say, my standard is, I want to please God in everything in my life? What about in the church family? Somebody says, you know, I found out that if you'll go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and then just do a little bit in the work of the church, people will think you are an excellent Christian. Is that really what we're striving for? Just that moving target of, hey, I want to be perceived as excellent? Or do we truly want to live a life of perfection? In other words, we have wholly devoted our life to God. Do you remember if we'll go back to 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, just by way of introduction. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. Do you remember when God told Saul to go in and destroy Agag and all of the Amalekites, and, or Amalek? And when they went to destroy them, to conquer them, I should say, they decided not to destroy them because there was a lot of wealth there. And so what they decided to do was keep the king alive and bring him back and then bring all of the valuable possessions back. When Samuel was sent to question them of why they disobeyed God in this way, they started trying to use this moving target of excellence. You see, his excuse became, oh, oh, we didn't really disobey what we were going to do. The people brought all these things back so that they could make excellent sacrifice to God. And that's what brings us to some very revealing words that, that empower us if we'll heed the teachings here. Look at 22 of 1 Samuel 15. Samuel said, Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Pause and think about that for a moment. Does the Lord? Would the Lord look on this situation and say, Oh, I am so thankful you brought back valuable gifts to give to me. That's so much better than obeying what I asked you to do. Remember, I asked you to destroy all of them. But we're going to take, we're going to take a lot of refuge. We're going to take a lot of comfort in the fact that you brought these gifts back for me. No, we read on. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as the iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. You see, Saul is no longer going to be the king long term. In other words, a replacement is going to be found for him. Why? The answer was very simple. He decided to disobey God. It's as if he had a target of excellence that he had placed in his life that I can do some things for God and some things I can ignore that God asks. In some way, that's going to be all right. Again, I ask you, and then we'll move right on in to the rest of this lesson. Do you have in your life a moving target of excellence? That as long as you can be perceived, as long as you can do enough to relieve your guilt, it's fine with you if you're not really faithful all the time. Friends, that's what makes us miserable. The most miserable religion we can live is one that's lukewarm. But it's also what keeps us from ever being all that God has designed. You see, my fear is way, way too much. We talk about being an example. I don't know any exception where an example would take care of itself if we would just be holy. Friends, we talk too much about acting like a Christian. We don't have to act. The truth is, it's called hypocrite when we are acting. If we would just be holy, the acting like a Christian part won't be an act. It'll be legitimately who we are and what we do. And so, whenever we hear the lingo, we need to act. We need to set a proper example. What I think we're hearing people say is, let's just strive for excellence. And in this particular time... Acting this way would be an excellent thing to do. When instead, let's shoot for perfection. In other words, let's be holy. And all of the example and all of the acting, none of that will ever be an issue again. As we think about holiness, I want to remind you of a quote that we've read a few times, but I just remind you of this to set the stage as we think about Mary today. Tozer said, whatever is holy is healthy. Evil is a moral sickness that must end ultimately in death. The formation of the language itself suggests this. The English word holy, derived from the Anglo-Saxon halig, how meaning well or whole. God's wrath is his utter intolerance of whatever degrades and destroys. He hates the iniquity as a mother hates the polio that takes the life of her child. <coughs> Why does God hate sin? God realizes that sin is a disease that hurts the people that He loves. And so every sin must be punished. Romans 1 and 18, He teaches that the wrath of God is stirred against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. 
And so we need to avoid all of the ungodly and unrighteous in our life because when we do so, we are literally striving for a life that is healthy, a life where we bless the relationships that we share in. We bless the church family that we're part of. We build a strong, a healthy relationship with God. Sin, every time, works against that wholeness, that healthiness, that holiness. As we think about that, I'd like to remind you of a slide that we've looked at off and on throughout the year. And as you look at this slide, I'm just going to mention a few passages to you. First in 1 Peter, the first chapter, verse 14 and 16. And as you see this slide, remember the teaching is all of this comes from these two passages in 1 Peter and in 2 Peter. And it's the idea coming out of the 1 Peter where he says, As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance. In other words, it's lust. It's sinful desire where we conform ourselves like the world. Now, notice what it's going to do. He's going to offer something better for us. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. I'd like to drop over now to 2 Peter, the first chapter. And notice in 2 Peter, the first chapter, as we read 3 and 4, as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by virtue and glory. Remember, we just read talking about that in the depths of the world where our life is self-centered, it's by ignorance. We don't have to live by ignorance. We can live by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We don't have to live by a desire that's driven by flesh. We can live, notice this, as divine partakers, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We can't live a holy life without taking from God's holiness a partaker, a sharer, fellowship, partnership. We have to be a partaker of God's holiness. He is holy. God doesn't act holy. God doesn't say, I'm going to set a holy example uh, for you. God is holy. Everything that we could ever understand about God is holy. And He wants us to be a partaker of that divine nature. Learn of Jesus Christ. What does that do? That means we move. That means we leave the corruption that's spoken of here in the world to corrupt. And now we have a new life that's not corrupt, a new life that is holy. The word corrupt means to ruin. Now we live a life that is well, a life that is holy in the sight of God. Friends, we just had so capably read for us a story of Mary as we go back to Luke, the first chapter. As you think about holiness and you think about whether or not we're striving for excellence or are we striving for perfection, it becomes interesting to observe Mary here. And of all the women that could have been chosen to be the vessel, the body that would bring about the birth of Jesus Christ on this earth, and then out of all the women that would be chosen to be the mother to raise that child, why Mary? Did you notice that we don't have to guess about that? Two different times it says that she found favor. In 28, when the angel comes and says, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among the women. 
Now, I doubt it was every day that an angel showed up in Nazareth. You remember the reputation of Nazareth? Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why was this angel here? That was almost, or it was, as unique as the very fact that the angel would show up in Nazareth to say that a woman in this town is going to give birth to Jesus Christ. But then the woman that was chosen... Now, you and I know the story well, so it may not seem as, as, as attention-getting, if you will, but it would be striking if you and I had never heard this story before. We would think, surely he's going to choose a mother that's already raised four or five godly children, and, and look, she's the great, successful mother, so God's going to choose her to do it again, this time with her son, his son, Jesus. No. Jesus was going to be born of a virgin, prophesied hundreds of years before. Who's going to be the young woman? Notice she's already been highly favored by God. Here is a woman whose life is what God has asked for a young woman's life to be. When we think about favored, I think about in Proverbs, the 31st chapter in verse 30, And I think about the fact that Mary was just about to marry. And no doubt, being a woman that knew the Scriptures, surely Proverbs, the 31st chapter, had been on her mind lately. She had probably thought about the virtuous woman and thought and read about the fact that when Joseph and I marry, this is the kind of home I want us to have. Do you remember verse 30? Charm is deceitful. That word is also translated in some translations, favor. It's talking about favor among people. Favor is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Notice, Mary was highly favored by God. What she had not wrapped her life up in was some kind of moving standard that says, I tell you what, I'll try to be a religious person, but I also want to make sure that everybody likes me. You see, favor is deceitful. I want to ask you, if you do something today, and there are a lot of people that come up to you and say, I'm so thankful you did that. That that was a wonderful thing. Next time, are you going to do it because it's God's will, or are you going to do it because you enjoyed everybody's favor? I'm not asking something small. We're getting down to the heart of what holiness is all about. It is so easy for you and I to start living a life where we constantly want people's favor. That we lose sight of what holiness is all about. Holiness is about saying, God, I want to obey you in all things. More than anything, I want your favor. Remember in John the 12th chapter when there were leaders in the synagogue that would not confess Jesus, but yet they believed that he was the son of God, but they would not confess. The reason why was given in the very next verse, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Literally, they loved the favor of people more than they loved the favor of God. You know, it's easy for us as parents to rear our children in such a way that we know that when we handle something a certain way, people are going to say, oh, y'all are such great parents. Is that how we decide what kind of parent we're going to be? What about a spouse? 
Are we the spouse that we are because we want to hear our spouse say, you're the best husband in the world. You're the best wife in the world. And someone says, what could be wrong with that compliment? What if that becomes the standard? To where it's more important to us what people think than what God requires of us. Friends, favor is deceitful. It's a moving target. What pleases someone today may not be what pleases them tomorrow. And what pleases them today may be righteousness, but what pleases them tomorrow may be unrighteousness. And so am I going to do all of that? Am I going to back up? And I'm going to be a type of Mary here where God could literally send His angel down and say, you have found the favor of God. You're a woman that can be praised. Now, notice as we go back to Luke the first chapter, In Luke, the first chapter, we see that she's troubled. She's not accustomed to an announcement like this, as no one would be. And so she's told again in 30 to not be afraid because she's found favor with God. And then Gabriel begins to explain to her what his mission is. To tell her that she can conceive and have a child and that it will be the great one, the holy one. But notice the purity that's implied when she says in 34, how can this be since I do not know a man? You see, it's almost as if, in other words, she's saying to the angel, you must be mistaken. I'm not that kind of woman. It would be impossible for me to do what you've just asked. That's why in a few verses we read with God, nothing is impossible. Now note this. Once it is, it is explained to her what God's will is and how He's going to work through her life if she's willing, notice her answer of perfection here. Notice how she simply wants to obey God. 38 is an amazing verse. When we see the transformation in her life from back just a few minutes ago, she was troubled. Then she was confused. And now she says in 38, Behold, the maid servant of thy Lord. Now, you know what the word behold means? It means look, see. You see the confidence she has now? Oh, you mean God wants to use my body as a vessel to bring about Jesus Christ. You mean that God wants to use my life as motherhood, the mother of Jesus, the Son of God. Now we see some confidence here with an exclamation mark as she says to Gabriel, look, you're looking at a female servant of God, the maid servant of God. And then... She continues this submissive answer by saying, let it be to me according to your word. And that is the question for every one of us. Will we submit to God and say, your servant, behold, look at me, I'm here. I want to obey you in everything. Let it be according to your word. And so when we think about our holiness as it relates especially to relationships, and we think about a mother here, and we think about a father, and we think about the idea, are we willing to say to the Lord, Lord, 
I simply want your will to be done in the relationships that I share in every time. And it may be that those that I'm serving may not appreciate that. They may not be asking for that. They may be wanting something different. I received an email this week from a young high school girl, uh, not from this town. And she said, I don't know back in the day that you went to high school if it was hard. That reminded me I was old. Then she went on to write about how she wants to live the Christian life and she's dating a Christian and she doesn't quite know what to do because he is saying that if you love me, you'll let me. And she's saying that she thought that was probably wrong, but she's not for sure. She said it just doesn't seem right. I'm afraid I'll lose him if I tell him no. What do you think I ought to do? Every one of us share in some kind of relationship like that where the person we're sharing in the relationship wants us to be somebody, to do something that's not holy. And we have to decide if we're going to move for perfection or excellence. And am I going to say, I want to be holy like the Lord is holy. And it doesn't matter what you're asking If you're asking contrary to God's will, I have to stay with God. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter if I no longer have your favor. Favor is deceitful. But a woman who can find a fearful and respectful relationship with God, she shall be praised. Don't take it lightly that Mary was chosen and and kind of scratch your head and wonder why. It's clear in the scriptures. She was praised by God. She was highly favored by God. You don't read through Luke where he went around Nazareth and Gabriel did a survey among all of the people to say, what do you think about Mary? All we need to know is that she was praised by God. I don't have to do a survey of my life to figure out, am I really succeeding because I have 14 best friends from high school. I have six best friends from college. I'm the most popular person at work. I'm well-loved at school. Everybody in the congregation knows me. That stuff means nothing. All that matters, all that matters is I'm highly favored by God. My kids don't have to say, you're the best parent in the world. Your spouse doesn't have to think that you hung the moon. But God's favor cannot be substituted by anyone or anything. You remember where we started? When we live that kind of life of holiness we're going to start being healthy in relationships. Isn't that strange? An interesting type of strange that when I set out trying to be what everybody wants and get everybody's favor, that's literally when I become unhealthy in relationships. 
That's literally when the relationship goes downhill. But whenever I step back and I keep my eyes on heaven, that is when things begin to be whole and holy in my life. I'd like to close by us reading together Matthew the 24th chapter. Matthew the 24th chapter as we extend an invitation from Matthew the 24th chapter. I'd like for you to envision the flood. Envision Noah going around and preaching to people. Won't you turn to God? Won't won't you save yourself? Don't you realize a flood's coming and that you're going to die one day? And there were people all around him that they had their mind somewhere else. And so he starts talking about this beginning in 35. And he talks about the judgment day in 34. We just don't know when it's going to come. And then he likens what happened to the loading of the ark and the floods coming to judgment day. And here's what he says in 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also was the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, notice they... He's describing they. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. He says, let me tell you what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. The very day Jesus comes again, some of the very same things were going to happen the very day the flood came. Well, what happened, Jesus? He said, there were people going about sharing in relationships. Hey, let's get married today. Oh, we're going to be husband and wife. We're going to be happy. We're going to live a long life together. And what happened? Noah, you're getting on our nerves. Stop that preaching about righteousness. You see, they were wanting happy relationships, but not holy. And the floods came, and they died. When Jesus comes again, there will be people getting married, looking for love, looking for acceptance, looking for relationships, and all of that look is going to be about satisfy me. I want it my way. That is the definition of lust, sinful desire. I want it my way. When actually we ought to go into all of those relationships saying, God, let your will be done in my life. And that's when we build healthy, holy relationships. This morning, Let's set the standard of perfection. None of us are reaching on this earth, but let's let that be the standard. If you need to raise the bar this morning, if you need to be baptized into Christ, or you need to repent of sins and confess, and, and let's pray forgiveness. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.